Hey, and welcome back to 303 Radio, a podcast that gives you an insight into the worlds of small business and digital marketing. Today, alongside 303 founder Ollie and I, we're joined by Ed Foy, co-founder and CEO of Press Health Foods, one of the UK's leading health and wellness brands. Good morning, guys. How's it going? Good morning. Good morning. Oh, oh. Guys, I was like, oh, there's just me. All of us. But you all, you <laughs> include the, yeah, yeah, the, the nice. Who's more the producer side and who's more the interviewer? Um, I think out of the two of us we're finding our roles yeah. <laughs> we're finding our roles it's been a lot of tension we don't like to be limited it's been a lot of tension yeah. <laughs> stop um, touching the table <laughs> yeah Ollie, Ollie is the dictator yeah, that says I do not away this time because the last yeah. one we did I was actually hammering on the table oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. so I withdraw myself slightly three mics all just hammering yeah yeah, yeah. perfect so it's worth noting off the bat we have all worked together or for yeah. one another as we well, have which is not nice. Yeah. small reunion that is occurring here. God, it's screamy. <laughs> it's exciting <laughs> it to be back. So to people that don't know press, what, 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 what is, is press it? now? Um, we, we are a, uh, a plant-based health food business. Uh, like um, at the core, our mission is changing lives through the power of plant-based nutrition. Um, and we started out as a juice bar business, um, brought conceptually back from the States and Australia in terms of cold pressed juice bars and smoothie bars. And then over time we've evolved and today we you know, supply probably 500 independent and chain um, retailers, restaurants and hotels in the, in the UK and Europe. Um, and we uh, have a direct consumer e-com business, um, which in the last few months are through COVID has obviously had a roller coaster ride of growth challenges, um, us trying to, to, to do more things for our customers. Um, but yeah, so we are, you know, the, the long term vision is, you know, to be sort of the most trusted, authentic um, and um, ethically run um, health food company in the world. Mm. So um, those things, what is great is that those things are more, especially the ethical side of things, um, are much more, consumers are buying causally in a way that they never did historically. So if you take those old business, you know, the businesses that have always been causal and have done very well because of it, say like Patagonia or, or others, Tom's Shoes more latterly, that um, people, they did a great job and also were causal. Today, what's yeah. great is mainstream consumers are now shopping causally and buying causally, which is awesome. So whether yeah. that's the environment, whether it's um, d employing a diverse community of people in your business, um, all of those things are now so much more visible. And so obviously we've just seen in Black Lives Matter, the kind of ripples for businesses like, um, what are they called? Um, Reformation have been absolutely hammered, which is a huge e sort of ethically driven clothing company in America yep. because the founder has done, said, and not behaved in a way that aligns with the vision of the business or the communication of the business. So it's kind of cool because one, businesses are being held to account, um, but two, it's such a weapon. It's such a great thing if you're doing great things that come from a great place that's authentic and you're doing all these the right stuff that you can now talk about that, communicate about it in your, you know, your channel, which is essentially social media and, e Definitely. you know, and e-com. So. And vegan and vegan and plant-based is that, is it's, that message? Uh, for us, I think, absolutely. I think at, at its core, and that's really, you know, is driven, you know, on the, the plant-based side of things for us, you know, we make plant-based meals, we make um, soup and we make smoothies and juices and snacks and bits and pieces. And we're, we're adding to that portfolio. Um, yeah, I think, there's no version of the future with 7 billion people on the planet that we can sustain eating meat at the rate we are eating it. 
um, let alone talking about animal cruelty practices in farming and health, just stay, stay with the how can we possibly sustain the planet? Well, we have to just cut down what we eat in terms of animal farming. It's just an ecosystem efficiency you know, um, equation that doesn't add up. So you take out the middleman of feeding all the cows and the pigs and the chickens and just eat more plants, you've made a much more efficient um, equation. Chain, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah, and I think that's that's the big worry. I think the Gen Z or X or what, what are they called? Wherever Complainers, yeah. I don't know, whatever it is, <laughs> like the ones who the are- The ultra millennials. Like, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, what's it called? Um, normal people. Yeah. That crew <laughs> that are loving the shit out of that are, um, are, I think genuinely, I think there is this like background noise of constant worry that is driven by will will we and will the earth in 50 years be in the kind of mad max post-apocalyptic i mean they won't know what mad max is but like <laughs> post-apocalyptic yeah. like world yeah are we heading for that which i think is driving like things like suicide rates gone up i just think there is genuine i know it's meant there's a lot of things around the personal relationships and the driving of social media but i think there is this weird drip 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 backdrop of this world is going to be so such a fucked up place in 50 years and that's yeah. the world that they're going to live in yeah um i think that and and to me the environment is that is the only conversation like yeah. cutting down the meat you eat if we did five two right five days a week and the two on the weekend would, wouldn't eat your heart out on me like genuinely we could sustain the world yeah. like that's what we need to get people to just do it's not meat's the worst thing ever it's not you're an evil person it's just legit just cut down it then there's the health then there's the ethical part about farming but like it's the biggest thing you could do, right? Like even more than flying, like yeah, of, on like a personal level, yeah, that costs you less, yeah. to do so, right? Like eating plant based is cheaper mm-hmm. than than eating meat or fish, so for sure. And there isn't one way, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's always with two big meaties as well. So I think like what I was going to say there about kind of the the press mission, like I obviously gone through my fair share of press goodies, and my missus absolutely adores yeah. it. So Great. there's always a reorder coming in every so often. Nice. But I think. It is, I think what's really nice about what press do, and there are other brands doing the same sort of thing, but like it's the educational side that I think you probably don't even realize, and you'll mm. probably look back in a couple of years and see that. But like, you know, I would have never have really ordered or, you know, gone to a store and, and picked up a press thing without your social activation, without what you guys do mm. online. But just eating it and knowing that it tastes the same and there's good taste there, and like, you know, me and my missus always sort of go, oh, let's try and have a veggie, or like, let's try and move that way. And I think you're right, it is those kind of taking the population and actually not trying to get them com- to completely go vegan necessarily but it's that five to two ratio or the three to four ratio yeah. whatever you call call it it is the kind yeah. of wider impact and i think a lot of a brand like what you're doing it you don't really realize how much of an impact that's going to have like there's you know a brand in london you guys are you know growing amazingly well but actually the impact you're having if everyone took that step is a, is a bigger equation there which i think is you know a big yeah totally big part of it, which is i great. think that the tricky part is that you've got on a global scale you know like we're all doing our bit, but in countries that are now enjoying their essentially like flourishing coming out of essentially what has been decades of more like third world economics, third world standards of living, they are now enjoying their moment of enjoying meat where that would have been a a real like, more of a luxury, right? Which historically is for every business, uh, for sorry, for every country. (laughs) That's a horrible like (laughs) Freudian slip there. um but yeah as in the problem is is actually meat consumption is actually growing faster than population growth because in those larger nations you're seeing meat consumption is becoming part of the mainstream for the first time we've kind of 
been through developed countries have been through that arc yeah. already so it's a weird it's it's hard to do it but it's one of the only things that everyone can do yeah so. and press is an easy way to do that essentially yeah i think like look we 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 can deliver i think we've got such a long journey to go on i think we everything from um from the format of the way we sell our soup like to the meals that we've got currently and having more of those um yeah i think the idea is we deliver it to your door it's really easy to do it's you know you can have subscription you can do all of those things um the idea is that it's not a compromise right it should taste first taste is everything but we also want to make like one of our brand like promises or like to our customer is essentially we've got to be the new the most the most healthy to use a bit of a blunt word for the customer that like the customer's health and happiness comes first so we want to make things that are delicious but we also want to balance that with being healthy but if it's not delicious you'll never eat it again yeah, yeah, and you will yeah so yeah, whether it's mac and green vegan mac and greens or whatever one of the things is trying to make familiar recipes just using no meat and that's fine if you use an, a meat alternative that's absolutely a way because the thing about meat, what i've been thinking about a lot recently is why do i like um the love burger at leon is because it's texture right and yeah. and like the issue is, and then why do I not love the the, the um, vegan burger at other places where they make it out of quinoa and it's all squidgy, mm. and then you bite into it and it basically is a patty. You need some like it's a pate. Yeah, it's, it, it's texture. That's yeah. what is so much. To it's do like with the it. uh, the chili that you guys do has got the sweet potato in it. No, so that is so. Yeah. No, the chili is it's, that's um, that is roasted soy. In I the think. in the chili. Yeah. I think so. Whatever it is. Wait, no. Am I thinking about the chipotle soup? I think, yeah. That, yeah. You're right. There is it's the like crunch a, of the sweet potato. Which, yeah. honestly, like, yeah. I, I think when we just went into lockdown, I obviously did a press order because Jamie was like, get your honour and quick. It's, it's all going off. And I, you know, you buy your five packs from your site, mm. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, <laughs> yeah. Friday, yeah. gone. Great. Mrs. Come home and goes, can I try some? I was like, absolutely not. Yeah, I'm going to destroy no. that chilli. But it was, like I said, it was the texture. It wasn't just like a, even with normal it's meat chilies, you just got this kind of mushy mm. stuff. And I think, yeah, taste and texture. Texture is actually a really interesting point on the kind of the food the side of things. Yeah, I think a lot of people go, oh, it needs to taste good, but actually texture. Beyond meat, right, or any of those companies that are doing the meat replication, it's all texture that's hard. Like you can yeah. replicate, you can blend up meat into a, you know, a smoothie and drink it. You wouldn't enjoy it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so we tried. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So we've got, there's some context on modern press, but I think it'd be useful to have a bit of a whistle-stop tour of yep. how you came to found it and then what it looked like when it first sort of kicked off, really. Yeah, so um, I had done an MBA in the States and worked in the States and the UK on uh, various businesses. Um, and then uh, Jack Wills, I like to think I presided over the, the single worst period of decline of a brand as head of global marketing operations. So that's a proud boast. Um, One for the CV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Recently sold way below any value we would have expected at the time. So. That was quite big news, wasn't it, when that happened? Yeah, for sure. I mean, much more so for the founders and shareholders. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mike Ashley seems pretty happy. So yeah, yeah that is madness. To me, that's, that is a story. And uh, Pete Williams is the founder, one of the founders with a guy called Rob. Um, and Rob Shaw? Yeah. And um, Pete and I have like have actually caught up a, a bit in the last year just by pure chance we weren't that close when we were there he had a it was a big company but yeah. um um he it's a lack of evolution and in fashion you can't not evolve to be honest in any brand you can't not evolve yeah. like you have to stay relevant to yeah. whoever your consumer is and i think with jack 
wills it was very hard to not follow the money as it always is you've got mm. shareholders you've got a private equity fund invested and they're demanding different things and yeah you know it's it is amazing how you know that success was so incredible like over 12 years but it was an amazing learning to watch it like go through this brutal like moment and i think the danger is that you can have investors in a board who are telling you that like it's probably your people that are not, are not right mm. and that is just never there's no reason that the same team who ran it for 12 years to 120 million are not the set are not the right people to run yeah. it it might be that your creative direction is lost yeah. yeah like so i think the problem is is that as a founder and i'm like having pretty robust conversations at the moment with my investor my, our biggest investor like you do get derailed by people outside trying to essentially pick apart whatever your strategy is, right? And in the last four months, our strategy has been survival. So yeah. trying to go back over four months and saying, should we have sold carrots online? Well, the answer is one, it's, it doesn't matter because we did. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, that has happened. <laughs> so second guessing it and then starting to make me second guess, whether, like, you know, am I doing things the right way? like is not helpful and it can be extremely it can be extremely derailing to a founder where you have an investor who just fundamentally is not engaged day to day and we're great we have great investor like yeah. we're, we're very lucky but no matter what it's like sitting on the outside of a relationship and telling your friend why you think the relationship's not good or is really great you're not the one sitting in it day to day there may mm. be things you can't see there may be things that you made decisions around that were are very like granular and the problem is it's just impossible to convey the whole story all the time to people outside to the business. Not, and, and that relationship's always, you're always gonna have investors who are more active or want more information and some who have less. Like managing expectation, I think like anything is like communication and setting some rules around what that communication should be because otherwise you can drift into an area where it's, it can be quite anecdotal. Yeah. So you say, oh my God, we've got this like really exciting opportunity. And then if it doesn't come up, that person is then like oh so you didn't you're not doing well because the thing you yeah. whereas you're just trying to win and stay optimistic yeah. so was it how long were you at jack wills for sorry yeah i've really derailed no no, no it was interesting wow. jack wills i was there two and a bit years and so did you did you take a lot of learnings kind of from that window yeah the learning like honestly the learnings like the learnings were really to me were one beware external investors like especially like they were big and so yeah. they had you know i think Pete is a genius guy and I think just got the board, I think ultimately derailed his right. confidence in his ability to run that company. Yeah. He, and he'd done it well for 12 years. Yeah. And actually the truth was he probably just needed some support from the board and he probably needed some people who actually understood the fashion industry. And I'm not sure that's what he had on his board. Got you. Um, so it's kind of a forced trajectory based on cash being put in essentially. From yeah the no exactly and they didn't have control and i think but i think that thing about confidence that thing about and then you're 12 years in and you're trying to ignite reignite the fire that's yeah. very hard i'm six years in like and there are moments where you question like like we've evolved so much trying to go back to like i'm gonna go back in and i'm gonna do all the graphics like <laughs> you get to a point where you like it almost is impossible to go back to that level yeah. and you what you need is but listen you gotta have a great team like yeah. you know and that is one of my we we're using okrs is something we should talk about by the way actually like in terms of running any business of any size mm -hmm. from the start but um two okay okay i was 
Okay, yeah, OKRs, yeah, 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 yeah. This is just so non-linearity to storytelling. <laughs> Started go. press, and now here we are. So <laughs> six years have gone and by. Our, and our random acronyms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so OKRs means objective key results. And basically, there's a book called Measure What Matters. I like, you guys need to read that. Everyone needs to read it. It's not a new management system, as in it's been around, I think, since the 70s or 80s. Every company that's worth its salt run on OKRs that's bit that are big yeah. like that have got big Google Facebook like agencies we talk to now when I bring it up it, people I'm interviewing for like say we're, we're looking at who's going to be a director of e-com mm. when they understand what OKRs are, or even graphic designers you immediately get that they've worked in where did you get that where did you work that you were using that and that is a real like it definitely says something about a company to do it you guys yeah. are like you know still at the beginning of the journey i would like strongly recommend putting it in place mm. so basically what it means is like normally what you'd happen if you think of it in the most basic way is like if you think sales right like our commercial sales team who go around talking to a, like retailers about selling our product yeah. and that's everything from mum and pops to like bigger chain stuff um basically um what normally happens is you go here are your targets see you in a month and then if they don't deliver you go hey how come you haven't hit your targets and they were like well i tried so hard and you can see i'm working really hard and you're like okay but i mean i'm gonna need to see it you know there's the target like see you in a month and then if it doesn't happen and then the same thing happens or, or they do it and you don't know how they're succeeding yeah. so you're not even learning as you go about what's working what's not and what you tend to do is then just say well that person's either really good or really bad and um that person also is on a is on a very like lonely island where like there's no strat their, their strategy is whatever their strategy is and you're essentially saying just figure it out yeah which actually is fine if you're doing a volume sales business where you've got 100 employees doing sales you haven't got time to train everyone up to it like you know imagine like you know stockbrokers it's all hustle it's all figure it out yeah. right um but anyway so with okrs what you do is you essentially say right you set them every three to six months and you say okay so if you take our ecom like we want to have a world-class user experience on our website you'd set something quite lofty like that and then underneath it the person who is running your e-com will say and you have three to five of them so it might be have a world-class thing uh, it might be um like uh what would another one be it would be um have like industry leading margins in our business right like you might say something that's got numbers attached to it but like how you get there is is very granular yeah. the the aspiration is well one you've got to go and find out what are industry leading margins like yeah. rather than just better margins yeah. see you in a month yeah. so then what you do is you say that person then lists out the actions that have to have measurable things against them mm -hmm. that they are going to go and do to to drive towards that ultimate top, top target goal, yeah. and then you basically kind of agree that and you say right so there's your strategy there's what you're meant to be doing spending your energy on yeah so what you've agreed is ultimately like okay so they go away and they do it for two months let's say all you do is you just you instead of constantly going where are we on sales targets or where are we on you go where are we on all those tasks that we know that if you get done will accumulate into a better user experience and we'll mm -hmm. get moving to we'll get closer and closer to a world-class experience those things will like you've now agreed a strategy that they know what they're meant to be doing that if it doesn't work but they've done all the actions and all the things you know what we had a bad strategy yeah. well that's on both of us yeah. and that way they're not left on an island and yeah. in the end actually like strategy ultimately kind of needs to be signed off by your manager mm. or the top and the execution is to the people 
who yeah. then have to go and do the things. But like, if you're asking someone to do strategy and the stuff, mm. they've got to sit on their own, boil the strategy up, and then go and like execute. There's too many moving pieces for you to even be able to articulate why it's not working yeah. or what's not working. So it's awesome because what you have is you say, okay, this month, this is world-class UX, right? Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on increased conversion because we know that's a reflection of it. So we're going to spend four grand this month with web dev on the things that will make the most difference. We've got a qualified web dev agency that will help us do that. We will make sure that they're, they, are, they know what we're trying to achieve. It might be imagery upgrades so customers enjoy. It might yeah. be all those things. And then you, it's just amazing. Everyone's driving their own car. Like you're all headed in the right direction. Each person's strategy right from the bottom to the top all, are all aligned. And we, so we use a thing called Monday, which yeah. lots of people yeah. have, will have heard of and who use. We use that. Now the mistake I made in implementing this is a year ago I tried to implement it myself and I am not. Is this for you personally? For, no, for OKRs so, across yeah. the business, right? Yeah. So the issue was two things. One, without that kind of platform, you're using spreadsheets, just not as robust. It's hard to get visibility for everyone. Mm -hmm. it, Monday like works so well for managing this. So like yeah. combine OKRs and Monday, you have a great like platform to win, to succeed. But the truth is you need one person to own OKRs in your business. Like not, it's not a shared responsibility. Someone has to be catching up with the teams mm -hmm. and going, hey, let's do a catch up. Like I'll then update Ed or senior management on where you, that everything's okay. Like, yes, there's always gonna be weekly um, target conversations and how are we trending for the month on revenue. But like, again, you've got to come back to what are the things everyone's doing that we know will drive improvement or we believe will drive improvement. Yeah. And so Harriet, a girl in our business, basically we recognize like she loves organization, loves everything being on time hates it when people don't deliver on time and in mm. full or whatever they're trying to do. And you're just like, uh, that looks like a perfect fit. And guess what Ed Foy is? Always late, like gets distracted, wants to talk for an hour longer than he should on a given topic because it's exciting. Yeah. So me trying to implement that is just terrible because mm. one, I don't set a good example and two, it doesn't work. So now I have OKRs and Harriet grills me once a week on where are you on your targets? And like, Amazing. no, you don't get to push that back because yeah. everyone else is waiting for you to finish our brand guidelines, for example. It's awesome. Uh, and it just yeah. honestly has made my life and running the business so much less stressful because everyone knows what they're meant to be doing. And then all you'll do is go, do you know what? That wasn't the right thing to be doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. But we knew and that you, you would change the path to get to the top. Totally. Right? You yeah. might say like, yeah, wh whatever it might be. One yeah. thing that screams massively to me, which I bang on about um, here at 303 all the time is the accountability kind of mm -hmm. thing as well is that it makes everyone accountable not just the you know the junior team but you know the seniors you everything everyone's got the accountability so that when things do not hit that target actually you can break down Correct. you know where does that come from because i i like i talk to you about it all the time don't i like all the i'm always going right the accountability someone's made a mistake here who's accountable for that? a lot of the time we always step back and go well, we're accountable because we haven't given that instruction or really driven where we're trying to get that goal to mm. so for me that's like I, I really like that and i think it is a really good way of getting that accountability but also everyone's walking to working towards the same goal and everyone can see everyone's goals exactly, like if you yeah. want to go and have a nosy around and see what everyone's working yeah, on yeah. including me you can go and do that yeah like one of mine is build a world-class team like okay that's a very lofty aspirational goal but guess what i know exactly what i'm doing underneath yeah, yeah, that yeah. in terms yeah, of where yeah. i think we could you know and on that good comparison with the sales thing separating what is like a target and what is an actual goal of Correct. the business which is probably something that no one really does enough of because they go i want to make 100k this month versus 
we want to be a market leader in blah. Yeah, correct. Like, it makes it much more actionable and I guess measurable as well when you're looking at like what is quite subjective, I suppose, as well. Yeah, and sometimes long, long-term aspirations, um, can, Jack Wills is a great example, right? If Jack Wills, one of its OKRs, and again, I, don't, I only talk about it because like, I think that it was just the most amazing business and through a series of very unfortunate situations, I just had a, had a really tough yeah. second stage. Um, but as I said, Pete Williams is a freaking genius. Like, yeah. did an amazing job and the team there were amazing. But, um, but if you're chasing sales, it might be at the cost of long-term vision and that's the issue. And so you've got to find a way to decouple those things and make mm. sure that you stay on course. So if you said, we want to be the most relevant clothing brand for 20 year olds and that was there, yeah. you know that that would at least inform when you updated, like then we can't sell hoodies to 12 year olds. Yes. Like, so if we're going to stay or relevant, 40 year olds wearing wheels, co- correct. So like, we're going to have to discourage them from doing it. And that may come at the cost of sales today, but it will not come at the cost of a business in 10 years time. Yeah. yeah. And, and the it, brand, I suppose. As well. like, totally. Yeah. And, but, but again, that thing of like going like, you know, and this is, so another thing that is the, the, uh, Simon Sinek, why speech, which I don't know if you've watched, like no, definitely I watch it. It's like 14 minutes. It's a TED I've talk. Had it, I've had it forced upon me a few times. But yeah. <laughs> I, I send it out all the time. Yeah. But I literally, so three weeks ago, I spent, so the speech, it is such a well done talk that when you hear it, you walk away and go, fuck, I need to do that for my business. And then when you come to actually try and do it, basically his whole like thesis is businesses that do very well, tell their customers, communicate. Most businesses communicate the what they do first so we sell cars they're comfy they get good mileage buy one mm-hmm. the businesses that really communicate to customers sell the why first so the as in we want people to live them their best lives with the freedom to choose where they're going in life yeah our cars get great gas mileage they're beautifully designed buy one yeah. like that way round communicates so much resonates so much yeah, resonates and, and apple, massive, isn't it? His, his big example is apple but then he talks about like why the um the wright brothers were the first guys to achieve flight or why, why martin luther king was the leader of the civil rights movement yeah. and it wasn't because they had the best ideas it was because they communicated in a way yes. that like and their why was so like the why was everything because the wright brothers were very underfunded had no money there was this big comp- this big guy who was funded by like had a million pounds to get achieve flight yeah didn't do it and the second he didn't do it like he stopped the second the Wright brothers did it he just quit really like because the why was all wrong and the Wright brothers did it just because it was the passion of i want to do this for the reasons that i want to see man achieve flight Mm. and when you even tell someone like that if you're trying to do a fundraise like communicate the why like so our why is changing lives through the power of plant-based nutritional and and the changing lives thing is we get so much amazing feedback of like we did interviews with a bunch of customers who had done, we'd put on seven day cleanses, right? Just seven days. I think I saw these, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they were like on a pink background yeah. and I think they were okay. Like the people were amazing, but we had like people getting close to crying, like over the fact that they really? had like, they had taken control of this one element of their life. They felt better than they felt in ages. Like one of whom had had a really bad personal trauma. Mm. And this was the first time she'd felt like she got her life back on, on track. What's that like for you to see that, like to see the customer? Yeah, amazing. And it re- reminds me that the place I'm most happy is actually being in a shop and selling stuff to people. Mm. Like, and I miss that because yeah. I love human beings, yeah. like in a weirdly addictive way. Mm. And 
that's the bit that I used to love selling to people, but because I, I believed in the product and mm. you, it's a great position to be in if you can believe in the product to yeah. do something for someone. Yeah. But the truth is you could argue that say a watch, like can, can you sell a basic Swatch watch and say the same thing? Yeah, because like there are plenty of whys about why the right watch said something about you, why mm. like you'll yeah. always be on time. Like, yeah, yeah. but make sure the person understands that like, what's the why you yeah. know and then and that's what we are we've just done a big revisit on that because you do get lost in the journey of like jesus we've got to build you got to do both right we've got to build this amazing brand that everyone finds aspirational and at the same time we've got to pay the bills and not over invest in our warehouse or yeah and you're trying to do both and there is like definitely i think some merit i think the uk vc and angel investment community because the size of the UK market is quite finite, right? It's 64 million, there's London, there are some other secondary cities. But if you go say into America, same language, one big country, yes, there are state laws around tax, but broadly you've got on the Eastern seaboard, you've got Boston, New York, Philly, down to Charlottesville, like all the way down, you've got all these cities that have their like, you know, premium mass, like discount categories and everything. There's just a bigger opportunity. So what I was wanted to say was, I do think that if you get the right team together, this is not an innovative thing to say, by the way, or original, but there is an element here, which is we'll invest a little bit and I wanna see how you do with that investment. And the danger of that is, one, when you're thin on cash, you make decisions that are poor for the business's long-term success and viability. And two, it takes your focus away from trying to achieve all the things. Mm-hmm. And the, I think there is huge merit in the idea that if you can believe, and there are three things that I think when you're investing in a business or if you're starting a business, is one is the market big enough to be exciting that if you get a piece of it, like, okay, fuck, like, yeah, you need it to be broadly big. Like, so I call it platinum toothpick syndrome, which is like, okay, we're gonna sell platinum toothpicks. Like, we can own 99% of that market and never have an exciting big business, right? But we can be the best at it it's just so a lot of times i think people starting a business start with something quite niche so i know someone who's starting a business she like actually helps us with our amazon account of all things but she's starting a business which is basically it's called a duo bottle um and the idea is that you can keep hot drinks in it in the middle section and you can keep water on the outside now on the surface of that, I think, oh, oh God, like what a useful thing to do. Yeah. I haven't communicated this to her, so if she hears this, yeah. like, apologies, <laughs> I'm ripping this apart. Because for all I know, this has been totally researched SEO and there are hundreds of thousands of yes. people out there who need the two yeah. compartment <laughs> bottle. <laughs> but I have a view on it, which is sometimes people are so eager to start a business and that they rely on a- their personal anecdotal and friend group feedback on what's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And then you go out and you go and build it and what you realize is the market was never big enough to give you room in which to like run. So for example, I curse myself because I started a premium juice business in the UK. Yep. If I'd have done this in America, you don't even need to be that good. There's so many people and so many people shopping premium that yep. you'll get that you'd build a bigger company just by de facto that it's a bigger market. So e-com into Europe is what we want to do next Mm -hmm. because suddenly you just open up to a bigger market, suddenly you just need to be what you are here in multiple markets. Problem is you've got language issues in in Europe. But um, so yeah, the first one is always, is the market big enough so that you can only own a little bit and have a lot? Otherwise you're creating a market and that is very hard. 
So Huel will have done an amazing job, but guess what? It's cost them a shitload of money to do. Yes. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. their spend budgets are insanity yeah. as far as I can see. But they've created a market. Now, the barriers to entry are not high. Mm-hmm. Like, you can go and create a Huel replica product and people are doing it. So you've got to get in and get out in that business, I yeah. think. Um, but they've got huge market penetration and they kind of own the space. And that's awesome. Yeah. And it's a cool brand. Like, they've done an amazing job. Um, but one is, is it big enough? Two is, do the margins make sense from the beginning? Because if they don't, you're going to have to basically plug your losses. Like, if you're losing money every time you sell your platinum toothpick or your bottle of juice, like, you're going to have to fund that until you get to some future point where the economics add up. Yeah. It's a much harder way to do it. Mm. So you're going to have to accept that you're not making, because unless it's better than 40% and your top line is 70 plus, as in your, your gross, yeah. you just don't have enough cash in the bottom bit to fund the marketing and fund the team and all those things. So that's the second one. And then the last one is, you know, is, is this an area, if you, it's you doing it, that you know stuff about so that you have an advantage on everyone else? Now, the... I definitely made a terrible choice. Like alongside Georgie Reams, like who was actually the founder of Press and then I joined afterwards. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we started it together, but really it was her idea. Um, but I think neither of us had ever been in food manufacturing like and food retail, yeah. right? Like terrible idea. The, the real question was, what did I know anything about at the time? I suppose I knew branding and I did know some clothing stuff. Yeah. Like, so... But again, it's if you don't know much about it, you have to accept that you're gonna to have to come up the learning curve. So either go and find someone who does and make them your business partner, or like probably don't do it. Mm. Yeah, I suppose the thing with press that, and one thing that we've been talking about in the context of Oatly a little bit recently, if like market size is a really difficult thing to measure, especially when you're Creating an individual, you, vi- you find a problem and a solution which press, even in the early stages did even more so now, like Oatly's now after this raise worth two billion dollars. Yeah. Like oat milk, I don't know. I also saw Oatly's. Oatly's. But twenty-five year old business though. Yeah. Yeah, and their old branding and stuff. But like, I'm, they must have been hell bent on the idea that plant-based there needs to be a viable, yeah. creamy, delicious solution for coffee. And now there's two billion dollars yeah, worth yeah, of Oatly floating about. Like, that's that's I guess another way of looking at scoping market. Mm. Like, am I actually solving an issue here? Like. Yeah, is there a no. problem to be solved, yeah. which is the Clay Christensen thing. Yeah. Work yeah, backwards totally. from a problem to be and solved. Something, Again, and otherwise, really find the solution, yeah. otherwise yeah. you're platinum toothpicking it. And yeah. something that we do massively as well, like from a, with a three or three cap on, like so many people want social and digital sorted out, mm. but then so few agencies do content in-house or you know have that as a yeah, solution. Yeah. That's, again, something like every one of our clients goes like, this is just useful. Yeah. Like now having an e-com set up or whatever. No, like, t- totally. Like problem solving. Yeah, it's that exactly. Like what's my biggest problem? My biggest problem is not that I'm like, that I don't understand what a good video looks like. My issue is I don't know how to make it happen and I don't know how to do it often enough. And mm. yeah. so you want, yeah, totally right. So we're actually talking to um, this agency at the moment about uh, something that essentially is like, it's a personalization tool for web and like, there are, there are a few out there. Now, the difference between this one and the, the others, that, as far as I can tell, um, is they run the platform. So the issue is you can spend quite a lot getting a new platform integrated and then it's up to you guys to run it. And mm-hmm. the problem with that is, well, you're not the experts on this. So now we have to become and learn to be experts. You're much better off, but they're the experts. They yeah. run the platform. Every week you sit there and talk to them about- yeah. You make the juice. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's exactly it, yeah. So exactly. Um, yeah, it's really, it's, it, like, like you just said with us, like so many people, obviously, you know, we, we have got 
skilled professionals in creating content, videographers, photographers, whatever. So many people can, there's a level of like where you can do it by yourself. Like so many small brands, yes, everyone's got an iPhone. Like, I always say to really small people who talk to us who have just started out, I'm like, look, just do it yourself. I'll, I'll give you consultation, I'll give you advice, whatever. Mm. But like start off understanding it. And then when you get to the point where you need, you're ready to level up, that's when you engage. Yeah. Maybe understand like what us, you actually like, need. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of times people just go, well, we need our, you know, we need more content. Like, but do you, do you actually understand what that means? Well, like, what, why? Do you un- yeah. What's the content for? Exactly. Yeah. Like, what are you trying to achieve? Is it sales? Is it followers? Like, mm, there are different yeah. things that you'll try and get an outcome. So what's the, you know, again, like, why are you trying to create yeah. content? Yeah. You know, I mean, look, I, I was actually, I've just realized I've left the brand pillar out in this doc that I've just sent to our senior management. But <laughs> like, but authenticity, I was thinking on the way over, I, I was listening to Conan. Um, and... I say that like he's a good mate. You like, did, yeah. It's actually, you it's actually had to go for it. The way you said that was yeah. so like, yeah. No, I was chatting with Conan yeah. yesterday, yeah. And not Conan, as no. in the, the barbarian. Yeah. Um, Conan O'Brien. But anyway, there was something, I can't remember what it was, but it was something that resonated about the idea of like, I know what it was. It was Ellen DeGeneres talking about the fact that when she came out as gay, she lost so many, so many fans mm-hmm. because it was so polarizing. And this is not now, this is a while ago. And she kind of was like, oh, well, look, I've done the right thing. My career may be over, but you know what? I'll always be able to live on that. And then actually the truth is, you know, Ellen is like the number one, right? Yeah. She's just a yeah. complete goddess on all fronts. Just amazing. Like, and then I thought about it and was like, the world over time rewards authenticity because if you're authentic, over time, people come to understand what your authenticity, what your why is. And over time, people whether it's loads or a small amount, will gravitate towards that because we're not unique. Like mm. so many people all have, whether it's I'm gay and I've always been in the closet, like that yeah. would have resonated with so many people. But, and then over time, that authenticity ultimately ends up changing the world. Mm. Like, and so one thing I've recognized is like, again, it comes back to that same concept, the why, the whatever, like you've got to have authenticity at the core of it. And so like, you know, for me, I don't ever pretend that we started this business because I was like, you know, because Juice, I knew that Juice was like helping my life so much. And then I thought, God, I've got to help other people. Actually, I started because I wanted to start a really exciting business in a space that I thought was good for people. Like I also thought about taking Ben's cookies to America and then was like, I even was speaking to them about it and then realized I'm not sure that that's going to give me a huge fulfillment in 10 years time when I've made like a nation that probably doesn't need more sugary treats, yeah. more sugary treats. And you'll be sick of cookies and that's not a good thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So anyway, but the point was actually my authenticity is in that I'm actually just addicted to helping people. Yeah. That sounds super cheesy. And what I realize no, is no, that no. changing lives thing, I love nothing more than giving someone advice never listen to my advice by the way I just enjoy the process like, <laughs> so but like that is absolutely and I think but that, paired with people that like a nutritionist like that yeah. actually is quite a powerful solu- again solution to a problem absolutely so actually what we realise is like you know when we think about customer service and we think about things it's like it's all that magic that's like just help someone have a better day yeah. and whether that's in retail like that's always been when I work in shops and worked in shops or pubs like the fun bit is making that person like have a giggle or yeah. loving yeah, yeah. it whether you're selling watches or like i don't know sandwiches Mm. like you know when you have good connection with waiters and a lot of it's about trying to be high empathy right because you you know when you have a a server who doesn't get that you just want to be left alone or like it can go wrong so for me and formalizing it formalizing it into a formula doesn't necessarily always work but yeah like you you kind of have i guess it was like i will try and bring this full circle back to early days of press as well but like even 
you know, latterly, whilst I was working in press, like Ed and I still spent like huge quantities of hours at 7am outside Piccadilly Circus, standing behind a bathtub, literally like trying to give someone a laugh and a, a juice in the morning. But it's like, my best part, time, but my best, best part of the day of the week, every time. I, just, know, I could tell that was your favourite part because it was always posted on social. Like <laughs> yeah. Ed, you rarely post on social, but every time <laughs> yeah. you're in that bath, yeah, yeah. somewhere in London, no, it was on social. And I was like, they like that. They you know what, that, that social thing is also is a real problem for me because I... It's not that I don't like it, it's that I just sort of somehow get derailed and then lose the habit of try, of posting a lot. Mm. Because like, and what we see is we know it does a good, it, it helps when I create content. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a, you know, whatever's below nano influencer. So like, it's not like because right. I have lots of followers, but it's because that content can be pivoted across. And mm. so like, it's just human, humanity at Face the core. Well, I think I mean, every time so, I've seen yeah. you on press channels or your own page, it's always been very authentic. Mm. Like it's always been this kind of like, I think your approach to it has always been I think it resonates a lot with like it always re- would resonate with me because I was like he's a founder of a business he was really passionate about it and he's very knowledgeable about like business and stuff I'm interested mm. in like that kind of links with it I've always like ever since you know Jamie joined us I was always like Ed needs to be on social Ed needs to be on social Ed needs yeah, to be on social. Yeah. I've always got it and I remember saying it to you ages ago when we, when we first met but I think there is a lot of like your passion and drive for the business Has resonates with customers and I think it's got so much more yeah, value yeah, yeah. Than a brand saying what we care about, and mm. I actually think that you know I know there's a load of logistics between getting a founder and social and how that works, and you know whether the founder wants to do it. What you know, like you say, is it become a habit? Is it not? But I actually think for the message of press, mm. when it comes from you, like when you talk about it or one of the team talks about it, it's always very different. It's a bit like why we're doing this podcast and the, our team aren't because we have the interest more than the team would do. Yeah, you guys driving the vision um, and exactly, yeah, and the I think, story and all of that. Yeah, and there's, there's, there's obviously plenty of good examples like the guys from Brewdog are kind of, I, I follow those guys on LinkedIn and stuff and you see them, you see their passion, you really like, it's another bit of the brand. guys are terrifyingly efficient at yeah. winning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just like, Christ. everything they like, do just turns uh, to yeah. like, very juicy goals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, I think it, there is a big portion of it, but it's, it's whether or not the founder's right. I know a few businesses where if the founder isn't right and doesn't resonate with the audience it's trying to resonate with, yeah. it can go dramatically wrong. Mm. And I think it's down to the team, if you've got a team, to make that call in, in that way. So, and, yeah, and you need smart people saying, we don't like that. Yeah, like, it's not, it, nothing's ever personal in business. I've, I always say that to pretty much every day to everyone. But like, I think it does come a point where if you can make something like that work, mm. it's something that you haven't... Yeah, no, no. You know I, what I mean? I, like, Listen, keep, keep I need a, video, a personal you. videographer. I've been saying this for years. Like, just a just a cam, just floating above mm. all the time. Just like, yeah. are you not recording? This? <laughs> yeah. Like, there yeah, are many yeah. moments that you would never want to just record a, a selfie stick. But yeah, just a drone that just hovers yeah. around all the time, recording drone. the terrible I can just shit get I like say. Snapchat glasses or Google yeah, Glass. Google that's gone now, but just do that. Okay. POV. Yeah, I right. actually do need. So we would need to discuss how. That's my biggest issue, right? Which is like. I just get out of the habit of creating content and I find it really frustrating because during COVID when it first started, I was creating loads of content because I was actually genuinely like so amped that we were doing this. It's been my favorite time of running the business because crisis mode and the team pulled together. It was freaking awesome. We opened the grocery business in three days. Like I'm packing carrots, everyone's jumping in. And sometimes crisis can be really great about like building a team and having a unified cause. And so, I found it really easy to make content at that point because kind of like I felt excited about it. Mm. When we get back to the day to day, I'm always a bit like, God, I'm not sure anyone gives us a shit about what that's I'm the thing. doing. That is the like, thing. I knew you were gonna say that because that's the, like I'm somewhat the same. Like I, I put up all kinds of drivel on social, like very constantly. Don't post that much. 
relatively active on LinkedIn, stories is all I really care about because I understand how it all works, whatever. But like for me, this whole business, this office we sat in now, as kind of big head as it sounds, that came from me using that platform and developing yeah. that platform and doing all that stuff. Like yeah. that's what I understand. Yeah, yeah. Now I don't post as much, I can post but what and I'm always like, well, who wants to see us sat in the office? Who wants to see this? I can't talk about that project because it's not released, blah blah blah. There's, the more excuses you put in God, front I of want it. to hear what that project is. <laughs> yeah. Is it Platinum Toothpicks? <laughs> no, it might be, it might be. Um, but like all of that stuff, and then I remember the first version of this podcast was my own podcast. And I basically went on the like thought process of, I'm just going to talk about what's currently in my head and what I'm thinking about, whether I'm having, like it was some, we've, it's all been removed, but just for the reason of this podcast. But I was recording podcasts when I was like deeply, deeply upset or deeply, deeply kind of, really trying to figure something out and really trying to work on things or likewise when I was super pumped and super happy and the people that would kind of respond to that were just basically like it doesn't matter how you feel we just want to understand it and learn from that place and that's what that's what they cared about it, like yeah. as I remember putting out and be like who the hell's going to listen to that and weirdly actually people have time on their hands yeah and they were just like you know the way podcasts work the way the content works now a lot of the time people just want to hear what's going on they, they would rather have a conversation with you which they can't have so they now want to know what you're doing. They now mm. want to know what the vibe is in the office. Like they want to see people are nosy. Yeah, well, well, like, <laughs> yeah. And actually, I think if you're not if you're not doing a startup, right? Like your life is is much more predictable, and the predictability creates windows for consumption of content in a way that I find I don't think, and and also topics that are more interesting, mm -hmm. right? Like reality TV, whatever version of it is appealing to different people because it is stuff that they aren't doing. Yeah. Mm. So. Like, if you've been ha happily married for a long time, I bet 50 first dates is probably really, or what, um, yeah, yeah. the dating one yeah. is probably very interesting because yeah. you just haven't engaged in that entire world for a long time. Whereas if you're out there dating a lot, I don't know, maybe it's not adding that much value. Mm. But I think the slightly, just before we move on, but the slightly scary thing for me is thinking about, I suppose we are the same generation, but the kind of generation below us yeah. is like, there are, especially in terms of YouTube sense, there are YouTube channels which generate millions of yeah, yeah, millions yeah. of pounds. Um, what's he called? Um, Kindergarten guy. Pooty. Pooty. Pie. Yeah. But like, there's there's kids, there's eight year olds sitting in front of cameras unboxing like oh um, yeah the unboxing eggs yeah. and stuff. Like that is the form of content that those kids are going to get used to. So like in ten years time, when we've got the sort of 15, 16 year olds that you want you want to be your audience, that's really boring content to us. But what's it going to develop into when mm. they want to watch? But, a kid unboxed. Like, how's that going to be? But the, the but the best ones, right, are the kids who are probably pretty funny in class, maybe, or have something special about yeah. them because they're all trying. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's so many people doing. So in the end, whether I suppose whether it's Saturday night late night TV show hosts, yeah. Conan O'Brien or whatever, David Letterman, like in the end, the best of them will become the yes, and whatever that reason is, I suppose. But you're right, it is a weird. It's weird times. But I, I've always said there was a time when newspapers were the only news source we had, like. You know, yeah. like we've got this Facebook thing that's here, and who knows what that will evolve into. But like, the yeah, like the consumption has always changed in terms of news. It was word of mouth at one point, and then it's you know it's moved. We'll keep developing as well. Totally, but faster rate it seems like. Mm. Yeah. You know, Instagram in six months will be doing different things. Like yeah, so yeah, yeah, and pr prepare yourselves for a tenuous segue here. Yeah. Development progression. Press started as juice box. Oh, sorry. Let's, yeah. Let's do. So the, the like the quick one. We yeah, like sorry. the word pivoting. I guess yeah, because okay. I think especially with COVID, it's on earth. Yeah. This whole thing of if your business does one thing, it doesn't have to be, and in fact, it may have to not be restricted by that. Correct. So yeah. 
press juice bars. Yeah, so we started to... off as a juice bar business, yeah. and um, I think you know it was it was very very hard um, because we were like a twenty four hour seven day a week between production and retail, like you, nothing sleeping, including me and Georgie. So um, so. Uh, yeah we started off as that and look the reality is is like I just the London retail whether we chose the strategy of doing two smaller footprint stores like kiosks you know we thought that was the model um, and the idea was to open lots of them so then you get scale economies driven out of a central manufacturing warehouse so um, I think um, whether we were like underfunded so we couldn't like as in not underfunded for anyone's except for myself's reasons um, but I think in the end we we struggled without having having people being able to come in and sit down right like I think you struggle to create a brand experience and I think we were well liked and we still are today but um, you know from a retail perspective but like you know we've made the decision that we're closing our retail because we just can't win at any meaningful level in that industry where you're you got to cover your rent and the, what we offer, when you look at Pret down the road, you know, they can innovate so fast, they're so yeah. dominant. And even there, you know, obviously COVID has created its own set of challenges for anyone in retail. But so- It was, it was three stores, right? No, we had eight at one point. Like really? between our kiosks and our like mobile retail and our like permanent stores. Yeah, we had like a proper little portfolio of oh. stores around London. Very hard to manage, like really, really freaking hard because, you know, and again, like just, can you get enough people through the door enough times in a week to buy enough things mm -hmm. and a daily smoothie a daily juice like all those things are great but like you know your total spend is not that high yeah. you know coffee shops have the same thing right you don't find really anywhere that only sells coffee they sell coffee and 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 because you've got to get your basket size up the economics just need it so we did that and then we you know like definitely spun our wheels i think and the annoying thing is it's a bit it's a sort of standard cliched thing which is the first you know we did two to three years of basically burning investors money at a very speedy rate at one point which was like suicide driving levels of stress um like genuinely was that, almost you, broke that, me. that time period was that just because you thought it was going to come in terms of like that two three years of just burning through it? were you building up to getting more stores getting more stores no i think we just couldn't make the economics work right like I think doing our own manufacturing, everything yeah. from scratch, doing that retailing, couldn't get the retail up, the volume up to pay for your central warehouse cost. Like mm -hmm. just like quite simple economics. And you know, I've got an MBA from Harvard and that apparently qualifies you to just fucking burn money, like <laughs> in a frivolous and out Do, you know, when you say way. You're, when you say you were burning, was that burning with light at the end of the tunnel or was that just no, like burning no, just no. because it just, was happening? But just because and because I had like built a poor business basically or right. me and Georgie had a conceived of a business that we could just not get almost trajectory to orbit, right? We mm -hmm. just could not get, couldn't sell our way out of it. Yeah. So, you know, then we start and, and also it's just very hard. And if you look at Innocent, loads of companies start like this, right? Like you start off making your own special granola or mm -hmm. innocence case smoothies because you it's something that doesn't exist so you just do it in your mum's kitchen to start yeah and then you go okay cool we'll rent a kitchen because we make more granola and then okay cool now we've got a bit of a market for this now that's fine if you're not also having retail stores where you're trying to sell that granola and you're yeah. a granola shop because don't open a granola shop there's not enough people wanting granola every day like so where would you where would one open if you were to open a if you were to have store, to open a granola store where would it be 
I think if it's snacking granola, I mean, it's easy to say the airport. I feel like you can get some. Yeah. I feel yeah. like you get some volume out of that some shot. But you know, are you selling? Are you selling oat milk as well? So uh, you can have a cereal bowl experience. Now this, we're this in is a meeting. This is a separate podcast. Yeah, and that is what you're doing your new project on. <laughs> I love it. I've stumbled across the thing that you're secretly working on. Which the secret's is, out. Yeah, yeah, the granola cereal bar. Yeah. yeah. You know what? One of those could probably work. I think. But I'm, I'm not going like to. the world's first hundred dollar bowl of granola. Oh, yeah. Like with Otolong in it. <laughs> I mean, if all the people to try it, we're going to probably up there. And just, Listen, you know what? You get a sh- shitload of influence attraction. Yeah. Like, you really would. Um, so, yeah. So, juice bar business getting crushed from all perspectives. Just too many things to do with not enough resource and just not enough brain hours in the day. Yeah. Um, Georgie and I, you know, working crazy hours. And we then managed to, and we had a three day shelf life like that's not a business Shit. like someone should have said that like you know <laughs> three days three days yeah you can't like that you're i mean it's just the worst is that where the mop came into is that where that mega mop yeah. yeah the mega mop was no so we had this big um like we built our kitchen in a railway arch yeah um, and we built because everything has to be done in cold rooms so yeah. everyone's working in cold rooms which like it was quite yeah Jamie's experience is very cold and you're working in there you're grinding up you know mountains of kale every day to then mix and bottle all manual um, all horrifying and basically Jamie with a massive Grinder in yeah. kale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can see it. Like, it's there. And we shipped those grinders because no one was doing this in the UK. Yeah. Like, there were a couple of people, but they were doing them on quite small machines. We shipped over two, like, I say big, not big by any industrial scale, but machines from the States. Big like, like, they are type thing. And more expensive, like, you know, compared to doing these tabletop things, which mm. some companies were trying to do. And then we, um, you know, we were doing that and it was just like, just never ending. And then three day shelf life, like, you're waiting, you got to have. In your retail stores, you've got to have full fridges to make it look sexy. Yep. But if you have full fridges, you can have a lot of wastage. Like, you're constantly battling that. We didn't even sell coffee at the beginning. Like, I mean, that is so special as to be unreal, right? Because then someone's got to come to your juice and then go and get the coffee somewhere else. Like, yeah, yeah. So we just, I just was so naive. I'm like amazed. When I look back, I just really am like perplexed. But without that, do you think you would be where you are now? No, but I think where I am now is not that exciting yet. Mm. I think, you know, I look at, so one of my classmates started a company called Stitch Fix, um, uh, which, and she is personally worth nearly a billion dollars and she did it in six years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, hmm, I'm definitely not. Another lean green? Yeah, how <laughs> short am I of for a billion dollars? How yeah, many spirulinas do you have dollars. to sell? To, yeah, uh, yeah, quite a lot. So, the point being, and there are lots of other classmates who've done very impressive things. And I think, I, I actually think when I did it, I was just like, I was between things and I hadn't found my thing. And yeah. so I kind of jumped into this because Georgie was looking at it and I was helping her think about the business. And I was like, oh, this has been a big business in America. There have been lots of companies that have sold and done very well. And, you know, I'm certainly in this to like the mission of the, of the business and the vision of what we want to achieve. Like I want to build something meaningful and that means size yeah. as well as doing a great job of, changing people's lives and and all those things so yeah i was just like unbelievably like ill-equipped at the beginning or we were to to handle all the things Mm -hmm. but you know what like we survived and we did and we were making a market and when you're making a market and no one else is doing it like there's no there was no solution to go and find a manufacturing partner for example Mm -hmm. so anyway so then we got a shelf life move because someone opened an hpp processing plant which is basically is cold pressure processing which you retain like 97% of the nutrient content, but you get 40 days shelf life out mm-hmm. of it. 
So now you might have a business model that actually works. So that was just game changing for us. And then, um, and then we basically like e-com got more important. We started because the 14 day shelf life supplying other retailers because that made sense. And then that channel became our engine room. So again, yeah, now we're like 500, I think, retailers that we work with and supply. And, um, you know, we're seeing them excitingly. We've been in touch with them all through COVID, seeing them come back to life, which is awesome. Like, you know, we have really good relationships. We manage those relationships well. So we're, you know, we're very sad for the retailers um, to have to sh shut down, especially ones that are like some really cool guy in like, you know, a, a small town that has opened a really cool, innovative, like yeah. cafe, health cafe, and then, three months later you see that shot and you're like oh god it's so brutal so 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 that really is now we're an e-com and really a, i don't know wholesale is probably the right word but like we sell to other retailers to sell our products so like any fmcg business yeah um so yeah that's where we are today and um i think you know we're now we did this great deal with so house group um for the next five years so we're now taking over five all years. of their yeah Amazing. all of their Congrats. all of their juice um and um some other bits and pieces we're working with them on some soup development and bits and that's in america uk and europe um and we've even got juice now in mykonos at scorpio so that's cool and exciting and it's meaningful in terms of volume and it's meaningful in terms of a brand that is so cool to align with we've it's a co-branded product um so yeah like it's kind of exciting and i think the at the moment we are you know covid has just thrown the whole world upside down and you know, there is a survival element. It's very hard to plan for six months away from now. One thing that's very clear though, and you guys are saying, and it's great for you guys, is like e-com has got to be the majority of your business going forward, really. Yeah. Like uh, even restaurants, right? Like if you take Deliveroo as an e-com business, basically, restaurants are now recognizing, well, that's got to be a big part of it, people. Mm. like And all restaurants, not just- Correct, yeah. like even, well, the Ivy would have been unthinkable that they would have done yeah. like that, yeah. or Annabelle, or whatever it is, like, mm. oh, Annabelle's fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> what a tosser. We supply them, that's why I'm talking. We supply them, and we know that over COVID, they did supply product to their yeah. members. So, um, yeah, like, so I'll tell you what it is, is it's been the best lesson ever for us to like never have a channel that you don't invest in otherwise yeah. get out of the channel mm -hmm. and the truth is we always wanted to be hedged in terms of risk from having two channels at least and retail as well which we've now sadly have, have closed um but we have been on the trajectory of closing that down yeah um yes and it's been a legacy and you have leases and you have all those yeah. things and, and also i freaking love retail it's the bit that gives me the most joy because you talk to customers and that is so great um, it's quite hard for you on your like personal level to shut the retail yeah like massively it's what we started as and it's the bit that i love i've always worked in businesses that have retail yeah like so yeah definitely because we have like yeah i just love customers and people so yeah. yeah it was it's sad but like that is one of the, the things is like you got to pivot and pivot hard like you got to figure it out right like the model it's hard to be all things like yeah. and you can do it you need we've taken time for sure like you know we're six years in from founding the business like for us it's about like you've got to accept the economic facts as well as the okay i've got a vision for the business but mm. the consumers sometimes aren't putting their dollars behind the 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 why or the and either you may be executing wrong or it's not really the thing you thought it was mm. yeah um, so yeah just just speaking briefly about <coughs> channels because that's a bit of a theme mm. i guess to be very explicit about what that is that's three 
revenue streams, three mm. customer touch points. So retail our own stores, other retailers like selling our product and then our e-com direct consumer so yeah. where we sell cleanses and food plans and all Yeah, that. and I guess a valuable lesson for someone starting up in terms of like hedging yourself across. Yeah. Don't just go, I'm gonna sell something single-handedly on Amazon. I mean, yeah. something we've been talking about in the context of Shopify. Like Shopify as a business just basically wants to be a back end for any small business. They can still be on Amazon, they can still sell through Instagram or blah, blah, blah. But like, you need to do all things in this, yeah. in this kind of now crazy time. Um, and I guess that's something press was quite, I mean, you've done from early stages for sure. Yeah, and I think uh, more by example of what the industry was doing in America and that cleanses was a great revenue stream. You know, you're obviously buying, it's the, you know, innocent, you'd buy one juice at a time. Yeah. Like that is a, its model, yeah. like Kit Kats. Or you do this thing called a juice cleanse or a diet program, whatever we do, and you're suddenly buying volumes of those because your whole yeah. program is that. And you've clearly never tried the Kit Kat cleanse, then. Where you just <laughs> <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, that's called buying a like Tesco's multi bag of Kit Kat, yeah. and then having quite a bored day of watching TV. Yeah, that yeah. is the cleanse. It was know, almost an office slightly interjection. There it was almost like an office argument. Uh, Lewis, who works with us, brought in this gold Kit Kat. It's like gold wrap Kit Kat, which I've never Fuck seen in my yeah. fucking life. And <laughs> everyone was like, no, it's mine. Like, there was a full on dispute about Kit Kats. In the Genius. Stores. Where is this gold Kit Kat? Apparently, it's everywhere. He said it's been around for months. I've never seen it in my life. Fake news. Lockdowns robbed us of so many wonderful <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah. Lives aside. Yeah. <laughs> um, a kind of uh, a bit of a surmising question. Is that something you always made me do at length? Was look at life in five and ten year increments, mm. which is something that I think has been valuable for me in some ways. I guess also with everything we've just said, five years in the past for press is unimaginable that when you were in the depths of uh, sadness with the, the horror, stores, yeah. you'd now be stocking Soho House in Mykonos and Barcelona and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. What, well, how different is now to five years ago and what is five years from now looking like? Um, yeah, completely different. But I think that's a bit of the nature of any business. I think some businesses go to plan and my life alongside of that, I suppose. Um, I think five years ago, I, I definitely had a view of what, um, I probably thought that at this point we might have sold the company, right? Like, you know, again, you're sort of taught to think that way at business school. I think we're all starting to think that way because we got, the examples we have are things like Oatly suddenly being worth so much money and like mm. we are definitely all money obsessed like to the point of it being extremely destructive to recognising how fun your days can be like 100% it's yeah. something that Jamie I think it's probably come from you to be honest but like I always like me and Jamie now split in terms of like one of us is money obsessed one of us is like let's have a fun day like that's the kind of split and I think that's why we're starting to work nicely together because there is that balance and like you've kind of got to pull each other each way sometimes mm. and what's really important about well, it's got to work isn't it yeah but yeah it needs to be fun but also stuff. these are the days of your fucking life guys. <laughs> yeah, you're not yeah. going to get these back like these are the minutes that are the actual thing i mean that trite thing of like you know life is what happens when you're making plans mm. like you know that is so like setting goals and like what you want to achieve is important because i think it allows you to then focus your energy yeah you only get again you've only got so many waking minutes in every day and then months years you can't do it all you can't do everything you can't you know you can do a great job of doing lots of things but like you know if you want to learn an instrument that's going to take some time out of your day or your weeks like you got to think about how that's going to fit and if you want kids and if you want to travel all those things yeah and um so i think 
the next five years, I think what I would like to be is in a place where I'm probably like personally more financially comfortable. Like press is like kind of everything for me. So, you know, that leaves you quite vulnerable. I think we're in a good place today. I would like to see us grow. I'd like to build something that's like really well known as a brand and for being a brand that like does innovative things, right? It would be great. I, I would be happy to run press for 20 years or my life if we make it something special. And I think we're trying. Um, it gives me so much joy to, to run the business, mostly because I like people. Um, and if you do focus just on, it, there is absolutely a moment where when we stopped obsessing about the idea of like, when I stopped obsessing about the idea of, yeah, we're just gonna like grow it for three years and sell it and pivot and exit, then I'll go and exit. do, yeah, 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 flip it, flip it. And then we're gonna, I'm gonna go do my next one, my platinum toothpick business I've always wanted to do. Like, if you don't release that business, I'm yeah, gonna get pissed off. I, yeah, I know. Um, and and actually it started to get more fun and it started to actually start to work because instead of thinking about the end you're thinking about how can I just do a good job every day yeah. how can we just do a better job and, and you stop fixating on this like it, it can get in the way of problem solving a thousand things a day or a thousand things a week and just getting things done it can get in the way of that because what you're actually always doing is kind of thinking elevated thinking how can I make this company sell a million billion juices mm. well you, it's very hard to find one decision that will get you there and so then you start to only think about that one decision or if we got stocked in Waitrose everything would be better like that's gonna happen or not happen but today there's shit to do like yeah, yeah. you gotta get the shit done today because there's a lot of founders that think like that though as well they think about that kind of like oh we're just gonna get there and that's it and it's done it's like well the path to get there is a, is a long old path and you need to make that path a nice path not like the rockiest road ever it's got to be a nice no matter where it goes it needs to be a way that's comfortable and not and like enjoyable because if you don't enjoy it what's well again like when you write the book there'll be challenges there'll be tears and all that shit but yeah. like broadly i want to live a life where you know i always think life's got two layers two levels and they conflict but yeah oh can conflict which is you're, you've got your day-to-day -day existence like right in front of your face just living getting up feeling good like I remember a period where I genuinely hadn't thought about how freaking great it is to just be in a shower. Hot, beautiful water coming from the sky on command. That's mm. fucking awesome. And like- I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah, just celebrate a fucking yeah. shower because it is <laughs> a long, not that long ago that that was a miracle. Yeah. And so I, but I, my brain was always thinking, you know, that whole thing about being present, like, yeah. you know. So yeah, I think that, and I think the dictators of whether you're gonna enjoy it is, uh, do you like what you're doing in terms of selling? And do you really like who you're working with? And so business partners, I, you know, Georgie and I, Georgie's always had another business. Like yeah. we worked very closely at the beginning and then less so as we've gone through the time as she's worked on our other business. Like, um, you know, we've always got on. I don't think it's been like two blood brothers from the beginning who always wanted to do something together doing yeah. it. You guys aren't that either. But the point is, it should be a great, it should be fun. Yeah. Like, not at the cost of success necessarily, but like having fun doesn't mean you're pissing around and not getting stuff done. Yeah. Like, also, what do you define as fun? Like, me and Jamie define fun as like getting a really big project under our teeth and enjoying it and going through it. Like, it doesn't have to be throwing a rugby ball around the office or like it's the kind yeah, of like yeah. no one has to be laughing and giggling like I think I'm having the most fun probably when I look quite miserable because yeah. I'm just like I'm enjoying this shit like it's good yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's what I like you know we started the business when I started the business I was running around London doing like four shoots a day getting hot and sweaty probably came across a bit pissed off and angry half the time but that's kind of like I was enjoying it but yeah the feeling of productivity like, yeah, and I changed that to I want to try and be a nice human being and then that's the kind of like balance mm. between you get the two of them 
which is good. Life in balance. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Is this saying that you have right, that we were gonna we were actually gonna try and put it on the wall here? Oh, that would have been I great. think. I don't think. But not credit. I'm joking. <laughs> no. Um, what was the saying that, that you always talk to me about people we worked with? If it's not fun to play with. Oh yeah, if they're not fun to play with, they're not playing. Yeah. yeah. Jamie said that to me for probably 29 days straight, every <laughs> single day when yeah. he first joined. But I think it's so true. Like, Which is also how you pick clients. Yeah. Right. Like you guys will, you know, picking clients that you fucking hate working with, mm. like. Sometimes it's a necessary evil, but like when you get to choose, is that thing, I think we talked about this, but like as in the idea of when you're in a service industry, yeah. like you guys are, and you have a roster of clients, it's um, uh, that every, you, you get rid of your bottom 10%, you get rid of 10% of your clients no matter what every year. When, yeah. you, when you guys are, when it's you know, up and running, mm. to one, make room for innovation and new things, but two, to also keep your eye on who do we like working with? Yep. Who do we really enjoy? Because again, you don't want to have anyone where one of your team's like, God, I have to do that project yeah, yeah. because they're not fun to work with. I mean, like we obviously won't mention, mention names here, but we have gone through that process and yeah. it's been probably one of the best things we've done. Yeah, we've you've only got process. so many hours and yeah. so much resource to and do like, a great job. as soon job. as, you know, if someone in the team's, and this goes for anyone starting a business when it's small, like if someone on the team's going, oh, it's you know, paying us to deal with that person. I think as business owners, you sometimes just go, well, that's your problem. That's the person that works for your problem. They need to start to enjoy it. Mm. When actually, when you when you break it down, it's not that. It's it's actually we need to look at this. If they're saying that to you all the time, you need to look at them and go, well, let's talk. Like let's dive into this. Just Why is that? Is it, are you not experienced enough, so it's not fun, or is it that that client or customer or whoever it is isn't the right person? So like it is yeah. massive. I think a lot of people don't realize that until they're three years into working on something they hate um, and doing a job they hate. Like I think it's quite common. Um, before we go, I do need to hear the mega mop story. I'll just oh yeah, here so the mega, mop, earlier, the mega mop is so we had these cold rooms that we built, like that were just like almost like containers. This is under just, the arch. Yeah? This is in the railway arch in Battersea, and um, and basically there was this like gap behind between you can't build a square object tight to the wall in a curved mm -hmm. room. So there has to be a gap between where yeah. the corner hits the ceiling. Yeah. So behind that gap was this massive, like, like, like a probably a half a foot wide. So you could just get your head down around this corner to just look down it. Yeah. Like gap that basically like just was sat between the cold rooms and the wall. And basically like we, the, the, the cold rooms are sealed flush to the floor. So there's all sealant everywhere, but obviously there had been a leak. So in the manufacturing process and when you're cleaning up at the end of every day you get you totally mop down every surface like yeah. scalding hot water you're cleaning everything but obviously juice gets on the floor too like i once knocked over like a 10 liter vat of kale juice and that goes <laughs> and i i was hung over i was helping trying to help the team and like it was just made it worse so much fury so much fury and like a tidal wave it's a lot green. of kale and it's to be yeah, clear as well cash, ten liters. Like all these bottles that you how many kilos of kale is 10 liters it's a, like it's a lot mountain how long was that taking someone to do oh that was like three hours of my work that i had just oh, you knocked had on the floor yeah yeah it was that was horrifying anyway basically all of that stuff over time had basically snuck through a gap in the like lining right and there was obviously a leak and so one day i like look behind the cool room and basically it's just like a swamp of like water I just sat there and, like, it was just slowly over time yeah and then I, I think there were things that would like maybe had been like were living in it like i like it was like a scene out of like aliens where you like look in the water so and shape, shape of water yeah yeah it was truly <laughs> it was like, horrifying it was like a brown 
blacky, like it was like dark. <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah. The, the water so of death. Yeah. Anyway, so there was literally no way to access it other than basically I took some piping that like took some plastic piping that we had from when they, we'd installed the cool rooms, taped it all together so that it was literally like probably 14 feet long, taped a mop to the bottom of that and then basically right. took hence the name mega mop mega mop yeah. yeah so mega mop and then lay down on the top of the cool rooms poured boiling water and bleach and all the cleaner down into the this gap from the, top. From the ceiling yeah. 14 feet down and then lie on the top whilst like whooshing and swinging <laughs> the mega mop to try and create waves so that water will flow down to the corner and then out and someone's at that end with blue roll and mops they've got, they've got, they've got to scoop it up yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're scooping it's it funny all up it's how you were on the top and someone else is on the bottom yeah. scooping yeah. and um, yeah and this serrat the serrated edge of the lining of, of the railway arch was also like grating against my knuckles so I'm now bleeding down mega mop <laughs> into the horror pool and swinging it back and forth and trying to whoosh it down the thing that's a low fucking day <laughs> that is not what when i was sitting in business school what i thought i'd be doing like four years later and now we're in so house sure yeah exactly um perfect well mate thanks so much for coming on thank you really, very really much guys congrats it. on the new i don't know how new this space is, is it we've new? been here we we, we, we came oh, yeah. in during covid so we've been here for oh, two great. months so, so nice yeah. and congrats on everything obviously thank we'll be looking to um to work together at some point no mm, doubt i know sure. that's what this is all for <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we're getting clients to come and or not prospective clients to come and basically flatter the vanity of people until <laughs> they like work with you so it's Software. transparent and I get it <laughs> amazing um, cool. and the last bill says thanks for listening and if you are listening on Apple give this a rating and review and please subscribe the usual jargon um, and yeah we'll be back soon thanks very much cheers Thank you. Cheers. cheers guys